Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode. Every couple of weeks or so, our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, get together for a roundtable discussion. So here's a few minutes for free so you can see what all the fuss is about. I was thinking about the effort that is being made by capitalizing black, like what is it trying to do versus what it actually is doing? And what it reminded me of was Obamacare. Because we had a terrible system that should be fundamentally changed. And Obamacare attempted to make that fundamentally terrible system a little bit better, but actually while doing that, further entrenched the systems of power that are making it terrible. And so in trying to capitalize the B in black, it seems like what we are doing is acquiescing to the premise that there are these categories that mean something. And as long as you're going to have categories that mean something, well, then you better give them the respect they deserve by capitalizing them. However, what might be better in the long run is to demand an abolition of those categories. And so uh, again, bringing back to the article, that is sort of what is being argued. So just to read a little bit more, it says the philosopher Denise Ferreira de Silva suggests that concepts like culture and race, both attempt to schematize the world to partition it into classifications that can be separated from each other by rigid boundaries As she and other philosophers have argued, these efforts to render the world legible by demarcating it with impermeable conceptual boundaries are a defining feature of modernity, but not an absolute or inevitable element of human life. It can be difficult to bring this phenomenon of categorical distinction into view, not because it is alien, but precisely because it is too near, too ubiquitous. We take it as given that much of life can be rigorously defined and delineated once and for all, and race talk, be it anti-black or anti-racist, is often located squarely on that conceptual Mobius strip. And if Amanda were here, she would shout that fish don't exist either, and all of this is just a problem of us defining things and labeling things that are bullshit. Jay kind of took it there before I could. <laughs> but I did have it on my list of things to talk about where I was going to take something that's been done in the LGBTQA community and transfer it over to race, which is when specifically talking about someone who is non-binary, transgender, it's assigned or labeled at birth, right? So I think that is a good example of you know, how you would talk about race because it is this category that actually doesn't mean anything and that we've created and stems again from white supremacy and all of these things that we've, that have created culture because we categorize them, but actually just like don't mean anything. So I like that because I think that as we've already kind of talked about being black, like there's no rigid definition. There's no way to categorize someone. There's no checklist, I guess I I should say. Right. We're just like dumping people as they don't fit the whiteness culture or whatever. So I like this. I think I'm going to adapt it into my language. They were assigned black because I think it just, again, acknowledges the bullshit (laughs) that is racial categories. Because again, like uh, Dion kind of commented about the African-American 
at what point do you just become American? You know, like there are people who now have uh, migrated from Africa. Okay. African-American might make sense for that, but at what point are you just integrated? Unfortunately for black people in America, that's never. So I'm, I'm going to this assigned or labeled black, uh, yeah. Again, as I, I, I think I think we did learn the phrase socially assigned race mm-hmm. from yep. I, I don't know if that was in words matter or if I knew it before. But yeah, that that is definitely part of the discussion. We have a, a real world test case of what these categories can end up doing with the Russia, Ukraine thing. Like right now, there's a group of people who say they are ethnically Ukrainian and there's a guy mostly saying that Ukrainian doesn't exist. So we have to in that. So, it, I mean, I, I don't even know what the solution to this is because like right now that, that seems to be the major reason for this definitional thing about what these people are and who these people are and in the wrong hands, it definitely can end up in, well, if you guys are all American, then you have to do these things. This is how you do. This is how you live. And to get beyond that, we are I think we're so many steps removed from where we could even get to where we're all just Americans. Or what what does that even mean? Ultimately, I think human should be the the stum- the number one. We start with human and then go from there. But we're we're so deeply entrenched in these little labels that I guess make sense of the world. I guess that's what, what they exist to do right now. Just a little aside. I, I was thinking the whole time, like this experience in, in college I've had like two, di- two distinct things coming out of a class. This white guy asked me, are you, are you going out for the basketball team? Like we hadn't talked, never said a word to each other. Like, why am I, I'm 5'11". I'm not like, I don't even look like, oh, that guy is definitely a basketball player. But I know why he thought I was a basketball player. But flip side, a few years later, I started dating a a girl on the soccer team, 5'11". I'm 5'11". She's a 5'3 white girl. And she said she was faster than me. I'm like, of course she's not faster than me. Why would she be faster than me? Because I am who I am. It turns out we raced. She's a whole lot faster than me, but like in my mind, I, and, and I don't know why I thought I would be faster than this girl who was on athletic scholarship, but that kind of stuff, like it affects you coming and going when we put these rigid categories on folks. Oh, are you kidding? Yes, of course. Just because you're a part of a group doesn't mean you're exempt from feeling the stereotypes. I can only speak for, you know, like the gay community that I'm a part of. But oh my God, the stereotypes that go, especially like when you first get into the identity and like things that you think you're supposed to do, things that you think you're supposed to be, those are horrible. And they're usually really toxic because they're mirroring cishet so yeah, if they just stem from the cishet world and yeah, it's like extremely damaging and it messes with your, you know, psychology and how you view yourself and how you kind of develop your identity from it. So yeah, being part of the group, it doesn't make you exempt from those, unfortunately. And I think I said that, you know, that because you grow up, you know, in surrounded by the stereotypes, you do take them on. And it, I think whether it's racial categories or the queer community or, or whatever, you, you, you can get into that sort of 
identity imposter syndrome of am I X enough because I don't fit the stereotypes? Um, you know, it's it's uh, the joke that goes around you know, social media right now is that you know the the uh, the trans girl starter kit is you know learning to code, wearing knee high socks, and I think getting a copy of the Communist Manifesto. And it's like, well, I've read that book, but I don't own any knee high socks, and I'm not that good around a computer. So maybe I'm not trans enough. I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, I've been trans for most of my life, as far as I know. I've certainly been out for 15 years, but you know, maybe I, maybe I'm not there yet. I have no idea. It's a, it's a lifelong process to be, become trans enough. So, and so Aaron from Philly, could you like help bridge a little bit from the conversation that we were having behind the scenes about how the last bonus show conversation about labeling and how it seems necessary for people to not have their brains broken by a lack of knowledge, which could lead to them burning down all of society. But you had some some thoughts on how that parallels with the the sort of new generations. Well, I don't I don't know how to describe it exactly. There, there's lots of labeling going yeah. on now, and you had thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I did. I did mention this somewhere in one of the chats, and this is why I was asked to to join today. So I'm happy to bring it up, and I think we've sort of touched on the edges of this topic already in this conversation. So I'm a, whatever you want to label the generation as Xennial, I think is one of them, or what's the one of her generation Catalano, which I don't even know what that means, but apparently that's what I am. Uh, essentially I'm over 40, but not that far over 40. And so I grew up in the era where the whole queer movement, the whole concept of of being out, of being now it's what LGBTQIA plus, and if you're in Canada, also 2S, because they recognize two-spirit in the acronym. The concept in the 90s was that we wanted to break out of all of those boxes, that we wanted to just sort of liberate ourselves. It was we still talked about queer liberation, which I think was borrowing from the language of women's liberation a generation earlier. And you hear about black liberation now that we wanted to break out of these boxes and break out of these stereotypes and just let people live as they need to live. But it's something I've noticed, again, being on the social medias, that younger queer folks are, to my mind, sort of hyper-specifying their identities, where you, I mean, again, that's that might be editorializing on my part, but you, you get these super specific, it's not enough to just identify as say lesbian anymore that there's these subcategories of lesbian based on whether you also would date a trans woman or a trans man or whether you would date a non-binary person but a non-binary person who was assigned female at birth i mean again these are these are maybe a very niche category it may be just a very specific part of Gen Z, but everybody kind of knows the rainbow flag and maybe they know the trans flag and, and a couple of the other ones that are out there, the non-binary flag or the bi pride flag. But I, I've seen diagrams of flags for queer identities that are probably just as big as a map of all of the flags of the nations of the world where people want to just really, really specifically define who they are. And, and maybe it helps them navigate the world. But to me, it, I think, wasn't this what we were trying to get out of? Wasn't this what we were trying to 
to keep ourselves from that, that putting that level of taxonomy on something, that level of specificity can break up unity as much as it can, I guess, foster it. Where it's like, yeah, maybe it helps me find the other people who feel the way I do, but it can, it can lead to, I think, a bit of, you know, self, God, that's a terrible term, but self-segregation. I feel like Aaron and I could probably just go back and forth on this (laughs) a whole lot because no, I completely agree with you that I see this and I have a theory. So I agree with you. It is so micro labeling and it's funny to me because, you know, I feel like, I don't know, there's probably 10 years difference between us when I was, you know, younger getting into the gay community words such as like top bottom switch were used to describe gay men. But now like I see it in the lesbian community and like, it's a little confusing to me only because there's like so many different things that you can fall under because even if you're a switch, there's like specifics that go into it. They throw kinks into it and it's very micro on this is what I like. And then what you see from it is like people will label themselves a certain way, but that doesn't mean that they don't like X, Y, Z. So then it makes me question, like, why do we have this very, very specific label if you don't even fit neatly into that? And what I have deduced is I think when you're younger, you get very excited about finding where you belong. But then you start living life and you see that you fluctuate a lot. So, you know, again, going back to when I first started coming out, I had in my mind, okay, like I'm a mass presenting gay person, but then I like the variety of gender expression. So I might be mass presenting, but I'm also way more feminine than what you might expect me to be just by looking at me. So I think categories can play a role, but I think they only matter because people who, you know, object to the culture, people who, again, we talked about blackness stemming from white supremacy they are made to matter because someone else who objects to it has made it matter. When in reality, we could all live these like diverse lives where we explore all these different categories, because I fully think that um, cishets need to explore their gender sexuality and like all the beautiful varieties of life that there are to explore culture, like it all, right? But they don't, they're not given permission like you are when you exist in a different community that has been oppressed and othered. So I understand why labeling exists. I understand the comfort that it could bring, but I'm on the other side where I'm like, it's all just, it's all just be. That is it for today's free sample. Pain members are who make this entire show possible. And so these bonus episodes and the bonus clips that go in our regular episodes are all just to say thanks to them for their support. And we've been in a drought of advertisements on the show for a while now, which means we are all the more grateful for every single member who signs up. If you would like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestoftheleft.com slash support or from right inside the Apple Podcasts app. If you can't afford a membership, I offer financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email and we'll get you all set up. As always, thanks for listening and thanks for your support. 